Hi, Mike Baxter here with April's Strategy Distilled newsletter, my monthly concoction of insight, learning and things you might have missed about strategy. So this month we're going to be talking about strategy governance and talking about it all the way from the boardroom to frontline teams. We're talking about engaging middle managers on strategy and we're covering some snippets of strategy you might have missed on chain of beliefs, Tesla's law of the conservation of complexity and Chesterton's fence. Let's do it. So strategy governance from the boardroom to frontline teams. Many organisations think that governance is what determines the rules of engagement between the board and senior leadership teams. The meaning of the word, however, suggests it's a bit broader in its scope. To govern is to steer, to direct, to control, influence, regulate or determine another's action or the course of events, to guide or lead in a direction or towards a destination, to administer, to be responsible for, to be held account for and in turn to hold others to account for the outcomes of actions undertaken. And many powerful voices in strategy, such as Henry Mintzberg and Amy Edmondson, Gary Hamill and Kim Scott, have suggested, kind of in keeping with that definition of governance, that it needs to be applied across the entire organisation. In my book, The Strategy Manual, I offered some practical advice on how to make this happen. Focus firstly on the executive governance of strategy, how the board and the senior leadership team are going to work together. And then focus on the working governance of strategy. How do we ensure people and teams across the entire organisation know about strategy, are committed to it, and are both empowered to contribute to its success and held accountable for that contribution? Durian Kamer of the Ready nudged this thinking a step further by introducing the concept of participatory governance. Here's how he described it. The default assumption in most organisations is that we don't have the right to do anything unless we're given permission. Over time, red tape builds up until hardly anything can be done. Only senior managers are able to act freely and make decisions on behalf of the people doing the work. Everyone else, unauthorised to solve their own problems, develops a sense of apathy and learned helplessness. But there is an alternative. Progressive organisations ensure that everyone has the freedom and autonomy to use their judgment to serve the organisation's purpose. Their default assumption is that you can do anything unless a specific policy or agreement prohibits it. In order for this to work, it must start from a position of trust. Progressive organisations distribute authority as much as possible to teams and individuals who work closest to the market or customers, where the action and the information are. Teams can then take full responsibility and true ownership of their work and their way of working. As a result, there is more organisational learning and better performance. Well said, Julian Kamer, I'd say. So here are some provocations on strategy governance that you might want to try out. Discuss it as a senior leadership team. Do you all have a shared understanding of how you want to govern strategy across your organisation? And is that what you've actually got in operation now? 
Do your middle managers and frontline teams feel good about strategy governance? Do they think they are well enough informed about strategy and how they could contribute to strategic change? Are they empowered? Do they feel they are actively participating? Do they want to contribute more than they currently feel able to? And from that, what needs to change? What specific and meaningful first steps could be taken immediately? Who over the longer term needs to inform and steer the journey towards better strategy governance? And how will we know when we've done enough? So food for thought on strategy governance. Next, and related in a way, engaging middle managers in strategy. All organisations of any significant size have middle managers. They report directly or indirectly to senior executives and they line manage, again directly or indirectly, frontline teams. They however have the unenviable position of being shot at from all directions. Their objectives come from above. A strategic change here, a stretch target there, an efficiency gain elsewhere. And as they work out how to achieve these objectives, they feel the sands shifting beneath their feet as their frontline teams seek new, improved ways of working just to maintain current performance. The working life of a middle manager is typically demanding, multifaceted and can feel high pressure and stressful. Perhaps not surprisingly, many middle managers have an attitude of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And this, for an executive team seeking strategic change, can look like the frozen middle, slowing down change across the rest of the organisation. Good news then, that Noble's recent newsletter focused on how to win middle managers over to the need for change. The key lessons for senior executives that I took from their article were as follows. Number one, start with why. Make sure middle managers know why change is needed and how the entire organisation will benefit from or possibly even depend upon those proposed changes. Listen carefully as they explain what these changes mean for them. Make sure they feel psychologically safe before they start. And make sure you are aware of the full implications of the changes. Don't let them gloss over or diminish how much impact it will have on their work. Number three, help them take ownership of these changes. Maybe rehearse how they might explain these changes to their teams. Make sure you both end up with a clear understanding of the part they will play in contributing to the overall organisational change. Number four, clarify what, if anything, the middle manager needs from senior leadership to make these changes happen. Maybe approval to change standard operating procedures. Maybe authorization to experiment and occasionally to fail. Maybe cooperation from other parts of the organisation. And then finally, number five, end up with explicit, ideally written and signed off agreements about expectations, next steps and timetables. Be clear about minimum expectations. 
Not every middle manager needs to become a vocal champion of change, but they must never actively sabotage change-making. Now, some snippets on strategy that you may have missed. Chain of beliefs in strategy. In marketing, there's a concept called the chain of beliefs. And for a business-to-business, i.e. a B2B service, it might run something like this. And this is from the client's point of view. I believe I have a problem in my business and I believe that this problem is damaging. I believe a certain type of service will help me resolve this problem. Of all the services I have found of this type, I believe that service X offered by company Y is well designed and the best value for money. I believe that purchasing service X would be a cost-effective investment for my business. So that is a chain of beliefs that is useful in marketing. Now this chain of beliefs thinking has in my view a valuable role to play in strategy too. Seldom is a strategy based on a single belief in isolation. More often it is a chain of beliefs, a bit like this. And this is from the organization's point of view whose strategy we're talking about. We believe we operate in a market that will grow substantially over the next five years. We believe we are in a good position to capture a lot of this growth because we are already well established in the market. We believe the key to our future success is innovation to broaden our offerings and hence capture a bigger share of the market and to leapfrog our competitors in terms of value proposition and hence move closer to market leadership. Now the advantage in thinking in this chain of beliefs way is that it connects your strategic aspirations to what you take to be the facts of your situation. So it anchors your strategy. It also makes challenges to your strategic propositions much more focused. Which part of the chain do you dispute? And it also proves a much more structured way to present strategy as hypothesis. So I think chain of beliefs is a useful concept in strategy and I hope you give it a go to see whether it's of value to you. Next snippet. Tesler's law, that's Tesla ER, not Tesla, Tesler's law of the conservation of complexity. Many strategists complain about the complexity of business systems and processes, especially those constrained by legacy systems. But before diving headlong into any program of radical simplification, it's worth remembering the wise words of Lawrence Tesler. Co-inventor of copy-and-paste functionality, Tesla was a computer interaction specialist at Xerox, Apple, Amazon and Yahoo. Sadly, he died in 2020. His law on the conservation of complexity proposes that complexity is like energy. It cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be moved somewhere else. And as an example from his own area of expertise, a product or service only becomes simpler for users if engineers and designers have worked a lot harder to bring that simplicity about. Another side of Tesla's law is that almost every system that I as a user 
need to use for my work could be made a lot more simple while still meeting my needs. If, however, it was made as simple as possible for me to use, it might become a lot more complex for everyone else to use. So from a strategy point of view, be cautious in committing to wholesale simplification of complexity. And if you do decide to make such a commitment, be sure to specify who is the simplicity for and at whose expense who is going to have to do the heavy lifting to bring that simplicity about. And the third snippet is kind of related. Chesterton's Fence. It's a cautionary tale and it comes from G.K. Chesterton in an essay in 1929. And he asked us to imagine finding a road with a fence across it that seems to serve no apparent purpose. Let's tear it down, you might think. But if you don't know why it was put there in the first place, you won't understand the potential damage that might be done by removing it. So beware removing any Chesterton's fences in your own organisation. So that's it for April. I hope there's something in there of value and that you can take and, and apply in your own organisation. And until next time in May, it's bye for me.